Amen. If you would, go ahead and turn your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And, and I pray even as we hear God's word today and we, we think about the mission of Jesus, as we start this new series in Luke, this, this series on the Son of Man and His mission and His ministry, as we see a picture of the mission of God, I pray that the Lord would show us a glimpse of the, the highest highs the lowest lows of eternity as we think about what's at stake in the mission of God. So let's read together. It says this in Luke chapter 10. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly. To the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town... And they do not receive you. Go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy. Saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows 
who the, fa- who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Then turning to the disciples, He said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask in this moment that by the power of the Spirit, the Spirit that you brought that filled the place on Pentecost so that they might Lord, be pierced to the heart that they might know they need Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would do that today. That we would have the the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. That we would see those in the mission of Jesus. That, Lord, by the power of the Spirit, that you would pull back the curtain. that, that, That we would see the greatest joys and the deepest sorrows in light of eternity when we think of the mission of Jesus. Lord, would you do that today for your people that that not just people here today would hear about Jesus, but that because of this message, people would be sent to the ends of the earth, sent into the harvest that people might see Jesus. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you remember the first time that you ever flew in an airplane? If you ever flew flew in an airplane, do you remember the first time when you were up in the air? Hopefully you didn't have to crawl over the businessman by the window to try to look out the window. I remember the first time when I was in fourth grade because I think I had my ears were hurting so bad that I like I was the kid that screamed and cried like the whole flight so it was very memorable but but do you remember the first time that you were in the sky there, there's something about looking at the world from 10,000 feet that changes your perspective that changes everything there's there's something about seeing things so small, seeing things moving so slow, where, where the buildings and the cars and the people look like little ants marching, little Lego to- toys below you. Everything looks so different. There's something about being on that side of the clouds that changes your perspective. And, and the same is true for the church of Jesus Christ. When when we pull back and, and see the mission of God from 10,000 feet, when we see the mission of Jesus in light of eternity, when things are zoomed out and, and you start to see what is really happening down here on the ground, when you see with a different perspective, an eternal perspective of, of what really is going on in front of you. Because if you're anything like me, you, you can be so nearsighted that it's really hard on the average day to see eternity. You can be so nearsighted that it's really hard to, to know what is happening in light of heaven and hell with the people around you. If you're anything like me, you just see the, the daily struggles, the, the daily anxiety. You, you end up seeing, missing, seeing what's 
eternal. You start living like CNN or Fox News or, or Twitter or, or what's going on in your kitchen with your kids spilling everything or your, your headlines or even the worries in your heart. You start feeling like that's reality instead of seeing things in light of eternity. I'm thankful for Luke 10 because Luke 10 gives us the 10,000-foot view of the mission of Jesus. The flyover view of, of what it looks like to be on mission for Jesus. That I'm thankful that we get to zoom out just this morning to see not the things that we think are so essential in front of us, but to see what's really eternal. So this morning, I don't have a plane parked out back that we all get to take a ride in, a hot air balloon that we get to go up and change our perspective. But, but my prayer is, is that the Holy Spirit in this room this morning would give us a glimpse of eternity, give us a glimpse of the mission of Jesus from 10,000 feet. And the first thing I, I pray that he shows us is that he would show us the, re, the returning joy of disciples. The returning joy of those who've been released into mission and those who return to Jesus. See, in our passage, Jesus expands his ministry team from the 12 disciples he sent out in chapter 10 to now 72 disciples. And he sends them out two by two into the towns and the villages where he himself is about to go. Picture them like as guys rolling out the red carpet for Jesus as he's coming. Preparing the way like John the Baptist saying, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Every town and every city, every home they knock on, the kingdom of God has come near to you. And Jesus tells them a few things that they should expect along the way. A few things that they should see in the mission, and all these things, everything he tells the disciples is true of us in the mission of Jesus. The, the, the first thing he shows them is that the mission must involve prayer. It must involve prayer. Look at verse 2. Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Prayer is not optional for the disciples of Jesus. Prayer is essential to the mission of Jesus. It, it might seem less practical than a lot of things that we plan. It might seem less measurable than all the other things that we do in mission. Like we can go out today and we could literally say, hey, we knocked on 20 doors today. Or, or, or we had five people over to our house for dinner. Or, or had two gospel conversations with people. But it's hard to, to count up prayers. I don't think anybody has a moleskin, a notebook where they're like keeping tally marks of how many prayers that are prayed to Jesus. And, and even more so, we can't measure the effect of prayer. We can't really see the effect of prayer. Yet, yet Jesus says 
to his disciples. He says to Christ Fellowship Church. Actually, he commands us. Pray earnestly. Pray sincerely, urgently, with, with everything in your heart, with all your strength. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Jesus is saying, pray to the one who reigns over the harvest that he would send some workers to go bring in his harvest. That's what we're praying, praying to the, the sovereign king over the harvest that he would send people to go get his harvest. You know, I noticed something for the first time reading this passage this week. Typically, I, I read this passage through this lens. Maybe you're like me. I read this passage as a call for people who are staying that God would send more people into the harvest we're going to stay, but we pray that you send others into the harvest. But yet notice the disciples who are going, that they become the answers to their own prayers for the Lord to send laborers. They become answers to their own prayers, and they're also acknowledging that they can't do it alone. As they are going, they're praying, Lord, would you send more laborers into the harvest? Would you send more to go? And they're praying earnestly that this has to be a conviction of every disciple in here. It has to be a conviction of Christ's fellowship church that prayer cannot be just a nice accessory to ministry. It has to be essential to ministry. It's everything to ministry. I said this week to the church in a members meeting that, that a church without prayer is like a, a water park without water. It doesn't work very well. Like it, the slides just don't feel the same without water. But, but when a church prays, when, when God brings His Spirit to move within a church, it's through the prayers of his people praying earnestly, serious, sincerely, urgently with all that's in them that, Lord, would you bring in a harvest? Would you send labors into a harvest? He also says this, not just that the mission must have prayer, but the mission will involve risk. Look at verse 3. It says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That doesn't sound like it's going to be easy, this mission. It doesn't seem like the mission is going to be very safe. I'm, I'm not sure if you've ever seen lambs in the midst of wolves, but we have a video from YouTube. I'm just saying I want, I want the kids still to like me here today. Um, but the call to follow Jesus is a call to, to count the cost. A call to carry a cross, not a call to avoid all risk. And the mission of Jesus is, is not about how easy is it going to be for us. No, the, the mission of Jesus is about who is going with us. 
Jesus is with us in the mission. And we see in this passage that Jesus is the one who supplies all the power and all the provisions that we need, that we don't need to worry about a money bag or a knapsack because Jesus has us in the mission. It's one thing to be a lamb alone in the midst of wolves, but it's another to be a lamb with Jesus among the wolves. He he then says that the mission will involve reception from some and rejection from others. And we see that through verses 5 through 12. We, when we go from this place, when we go into our city, when we go into neighborhoods, when we go into different cities, when we go into closed countries who've never heard of Jesus, not everybody is going to be happy to see us. Not everyone's going to be neutral in their hearing. And that's because that's the nature of the gospel When people hear that they are great sinners before a holy God, when when, when people hear that the gospel demands repentance from their sins, that, that they desperately need Jesus, people aren't always welcoming that kind of message. No, the gospel by nature is going to draw some to Jesus, and it's going to drive some from Jesus. 2 Corinthians says that, That this message of the gospel, that it is aroma of life to some, but it's aroma of death to others. So wherever we go, what, what we're doing is we are bringing the peace of Jesus. For for anyone who will receive the king, that, that they'll get the prince of peace. That's what Jesus says. He says, we will come to some people. We will come to some homes. And and when we enter, this is what we say. We say, peace be with you. But we come bearing good news of, of great joy and peace to the people who are listening. And Jesus says, and some people will receive this peace. And they'll open and welcome you into their home. And they're going to feed you. And they'll be rich fellowship. But then others, you'll come to them. And they'll reject you. And they'll turn away from you on campus. They won't want to hear about Jesus at work. They They want nothing to do with you. And with these people, he said, you... Walk in the streets and shake the dust off your feet. It's a sign of judgment for those who are rejecting the king and his kingdom. But notice, notice this. Notice the message is the same. Proclaiming the kingdom is the exact same in both cities. The cities that reject you and the cities that receive you. The message is this. The kingdom has come. The kingdom of God has come near to you. He says that in the city that receives him, and he says that in the city that rejects him. Some people are going to receive it as good news, and some as bad news. And so listen, brothers and sisters, their response is not up to you. Your faithfulness does not depend 
on their response to the good news. Faithfulness is defined simply by proclaiming the coming king and his kingdom. Faithfulness is just us saying that there's a king that has come. A king who's lived a perfect life in your place. A, a king who died a sinner's death, bearing God's wrath in your place on the cross. And who three days later rose again. And if you would receive him, if you would receive this prince of peace, you would have peace that passes all understanding. You'd have life in the king. It's, it's incredible when you think about it. It's really unbelievable when you think about that, that you and me, that we are representing the king wherever we go. You and I have not only been rescued by the king if we're followers of Jesus, but we are representatives, ambassadors of the king. We represent the king in what we say. We represent the king in what we do. We represent the king in how we live. We, we come bringing his peace. I mean, just look at what, how Jesus says it in verse 16. Jesus says this, The one who hears you hears me. And the one who rejects you rejects me. And the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Do you hear what? This is, this is incredible. I don't know if you've read this passage before, but if you really get what Jesus is saying, he's saying when we speak and people hear us, they actually hear Jesus. When, when they receive us, they receive Christ. When, when they reject our message, they're not just rejecting us, they're rejecting Jesus. Listen, disciples of Jesus are so connected to Jesus in the mission that it's actually Jesus doing his work through us. As one mission strategist, John Barnett, put it, remember, it's not Christ and us. It's Christ in us. That's so freeing, isn't it? It's, it's not Christ and us on this mission for Jesus. It's Christ in us. In us, yet not I, but Christ in me. Christ doing through me what I could never do by myself. That's so freeing for someone going to the mission field. So freeing for a pastor or a leader of a local church. That's so freeing for any disciple, any Christian, any follower of Jesus. Because we don't have to we don't have to strive and try really hard. We don't have to worry about pleasing some far-off Jesus. No, we get to be released so that Jesus can do more through me than I could ever do by myself. Now, I want us to take a second to zoom out. To, to zoom out 10,000 feet to get an eternal perspective. Because oftentimes when we're on the ground, life gets really hard. We can be desperately praying, earnestly praying, urgently praying with everything that's in us. And it looks like our prayers are not being heard. 
Looks like we don't see any kind of results. Looks like we've seen nobody come to faith in Christ. Or we can be so fearful because it really feels like we're sheep living in the monk, in, among a bunch of wolves. Yeah, we might be received by some, by, but we're rejected by so many. But look at this. Th- those who are praying earnestly now, those who are risking everything now, those who are being rejected by everyone now, will one day return with joy to Jesus. Like every single person sent on mission for Jesus will return to Jesus one day in heaven with joy. Every single one of them. Look at verse 17, brothers and sisters. I believe this This is your story, not just the disciple story. It says this, the 72 returned with joy. They've been rejected by some, remember? But they return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Those who are sent on mission for Jesus will return with joy to Jesus. Because it's not the Lord of the field sending us into the field. He's not sending us into a wasteland. It's the Lord of the harvest sending us into his harvest. Where he is seeking and saving the lost. We get to be released into mission. And we get to be returning with joy, saying, Lord, guess what happened in your name? Lord, guess what happened in your name? Guess what happened when I shared Jesus with my neighbor? Guess what happened when I was a light in my work and I shared Jesus with the person in the break room? Lord, guess what happened, Jesus, when you used me on campus, when I got to share Jesus with people in fraternities and shorties? Lord, look what happened when I prayed in your name. Those who are sent on mission for Jesus will return to Jesus with joy. We'll be filled with joy on the day they see the face of Jesus. The second thing we see is, yes, there's great joy. There's great joy in the mission of Jesus. But number two, the rejecting tragedy of the lost. So right after Jesus tells the disciples or warns the disciples that they're going to be rejected by some cities, Jesus' heart starts expressing woes over those cities. His heart heart overflows with with woes for those who've rejected His kingdom that has come near. His work, His miracles that He's seen, the the good news that they could have peace. Now when we hear the, the word woe in the Bible, I don't know the first thing that comes to your mind from the lips of Jesus. Or even the prophets of the Old Testament. But, but, but often our first thought is the thought of judgment. We see prophets calling down fire from heaven, calling down judgment on those who are rebellious. And, and don't miss it, the, the woes are definitely an expression of judgment. It's definitely communicating 
Those who are condemned without Christ, those who've rejected Christ's kingdom will face judgment. But listen, Jesus is also communicating deep sadness. Deep sadness and deep sorrow at the the hard hearts of those cities that will not receive him. And what does he say about those cities? It's pretty striking. Look Look at verses 12 with me again. Verse 12 through 15. It says, I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have been they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted in heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. Everyone listening would have known the city of Sodom. Everybody sitting here right now probably knows the word Sodom. Sodom and Gomorrah, we, we, we th- when we think about the city of Sodom, we think about the city of sin. We think about the poster child of this person is worthy of the wrath of God. Worthy of God's judgment. Even Tyre and Sidon were, were Gentile cities outside of the people of God who were condemned because they worshipped the Baals in the Old Testament. Full of materialism, full of sensuality, worshiping other gods. These cities were probably similar to like we would hear maybe North Korea. Or when we think about Hitler and the Nazis of Germany. Similar what would come to our mind. And yet Jesus says this, if these works of Jesus... If my works and the disciples were done in Sodom or Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented a long time ago. They would have been sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Imagine if someone said, if Hitler saw what you saw, heard what you heard, he would have repented. He would have fallen on his face. Jesus' heart is... It's expressing a a brokenness. You don't know what you're seeing. You don't know what you're seeing. The king is here. The king has come near to you. The king has come bringing peace to you. And yet you're missing it. It's the greatest tragedy in the world. It's the greatest sorrow. The greatest sadness in the world is seeing Jesus and yet missing Jesus. It's the greatest sadness. And so when we zoom out 10,000 feet and we get an eternal perspective, there should be great sadness among the people of God. Our hearts should break like Jesus' heart breaks. The greatest tragedy today is not your friend losing their job. It's your friend losing their soul. 
The greatest sorrow is not someone getting a divorce or or someone getting cancer. No, it's someone rejecting Jesus. It's the greatest sorrow, the greatest tragedy in all the world. The, The greatest sadness is not someone having a hard job, not having a hard day, but them hardening their hearts. You hardening your heart to Jesus. And we should, brothers and sisters, we should be brought to tears when we hear of a sister who has gotten into a horrible wreck. I mean, when I got the phone call yesterday, we were walking into Target and all these feelings come crashing down on you. Thinking about someone, what what had happened. At that point, we just knew she had flown to Vanderbilt. And there I was with tears in, in Target. Should leave us undone. But we should be even more broken when someone is going to hell. When's the last time you've been broken? When's the last time you've been brought to tears because someone is rejecting Jesus? Because someone was hardening their heart to Jesus. Because someone was walking away from the church. Because someone was no longer wanting to walk with Jesus. Listen, if you're here this morning and you've never received Jesus, right now you are rejecting Jesus. And Jesus could say, if Sodom would have known of a Savior who lived and died and rose again, they would have repented. If they knew of a king who made a way for them to go to heaven, if they knew of a king who would come and in his grace die on a cross bearing the wrath of God that they might have peace with God, they would have believed. So why not this morning? Why not this right now? Repent of your sins. Turn from running from Jesus, rejecting Jesus, and run and throw yourself on on Christ. Run and throw yourself on Jesus in faith. Because the greatest tragedy in the world is seeing Jesus or hearing about Jesus and yet missing out on Jesus. The greatest sadness is not receiving the free gift Christ this moment. The final thing we see in our passage is the revealing joy of Jesus. Again, when the disciples returned from being on mission, it says they returned with great joy. They returned with joy because of what they just experienced in the cities. They had just witnessed the power of Jesus' name working through them. Do you see what Jesus says? Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Jesus is saying, I saw what you did and I saw my power going out through you. I mean, this this makes sense, right? It makes sense when you think about experiencing Jesus' power over demons and over sickness. 
And not just being a witness to Jesus' power outside of you, but actually experiencing his power working through you. I mean, could there be anything better than this? Could there be anything greater than this, any greater joy than being used by Jesus? Well, Jesus says there is. Look at verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus' words right there, they are written, are in the perfect tense in the Greek. Meaning, it's a permanent and continuous reality that's never going to change. It's a permanent and continuous reality that's never going to change. Don't rejoice because you got power today. Rejoice that you got a position in heaven in Christ forever. That's joy. That is real joy, being hidden in the most safe, in the most secure place in all the universe, hidden in Christ Jesus. Now, where are they written? Where, where are these names written? Where could we go and find these names right now? Well, Revelation 21 tells us. The, the last verse of Revelation 21 tells us when we see the curtain pulled back 10,000 feet of, in eternity and we see what's going on inside of heaven, this is what we read. But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those, only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. That is where they are written. They are written in the Lamb's book of life. And, and Jesus, the Lamb who was slain, is the one who wrote them there. And when Jesus writes your name, it's, it's not written in pencil, it's not written in pen. It's, it's written in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. It's signed with his blood. So, so when Jesus says, your name, Dylan, is written in heaven. Your name, Jody, is written in heaven. Your name, Paige, is written in heaven. Your name, Natalie, is written in heaven. Your name, Ethan, is written in heaven. It's not going anywhere. It's not going anywhere. It's permanently there forever. And in that, you rejoice. In that you rejoice because you are hidden in Christ and you are going to be hidden in Christ forever. Listen, if the, if the greatest sadness in the whole world is the sadness of rejecting Jesus, then the greatest joy in the entire world is the joy of receiving Jesus. There is no greater joy that this world can offer you than the joy of of receiving Jesus, then the joy of your name written in heaven forever. Oh, what great joy when it's what we just sang about a minute ago. There, there is no sweeter joy than this 
There is no stronger hope we hold. We are His forevermore. Safe, secure by Christ alone. Oh, what great joy when we get to be used by Jesus. When we get to experience His power in the mission, we should be filled with joy. But what greater joy knowing that our names are written in heaven forever, safe and secure forever in heaven. But brothers and sisters, there's a greater joy. I don't want to hurt your feelings that we sang something wrong earlier. But there is a greater joy, a greater joy if we zoom out 10,000 feet and get an eternal perspective. Because see, when Jesus starts talking about names being written in heaven, he's not yawning about it. When Jesus starts talking about names written in heaven, people sharing in his glory with him, he's not bored about it. When Jesus starts talking about names written in heaven, this is what happens. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, In that same hour, in that same hour, he rejoiced, and it's actually a different word, rejoiced. He rejoiced, meaning Jesus was thrilled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Jesus was thrilled with joy in the Holy Spirit. I mean, have you ever, have you ever had one of those moments where you just can't wipe the smile off your face? Like if you tried, if someone tried to wipe the smile off your face, it couldn't happen. Maybe that was your wedding day. Maybe that was at the birth of one of your children there in the hospital. Like you weren't going to frown that day. You were filled with joy. Or maybe it was like my daughter the other day had a skating rink party. That's like next level. That's like wedding's good, but skating rink birthday party. And I wish you could have seen my daughter Mendel's face when they announced her birthday and they played her favorite song, it's like lap after lap, grinning from ear to ear with joy. Now picture Jesus feeling that way about you. Imagine Jesus with that smile, overjoyed, overjoyed, saying, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal There's a greater joy in the universe than you receiving Jesus. It's Jesus revealing himself to you. It's Jesus giving himself to you. Jesus is overjoyed to give sinners himself. In fact, when you pull back into eternity, we see right here that the whole Trinity is sharing a moment of joy. Did you see that? Jesus, being thrilled with the Holy Spirit, says, I thank you, Father, 
It's like the Trinity's having a moment. He's having a moment about name. They're having a moment about the names being written down in heaven. Because the sovereign king with sovereign joy has revealed himself to you. Revealed himself not to the wise and understanding. Not to those who are proud and don't think they need him. Not to those self-righteous Pharisees, Sadducees, religious people who think they're okay on their own. No, but to the little children. To those who know they're desperate and needy. To those who know they're sinners and in their desperation need Jesus. Jesus gets joy in giving you himself. That probably sounds startling to you because of how you see yourself. But if you could see from 10,000 feet through the eyes of Jesus, Jesus gives joy giving you a sinner himself. That's why Jesus turns to his disciples in the end and says, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. The prophets wanted to see this. The kings in the Old Testament long to see me, and you get to see me. Jesus is saying to us, Christ Fellowship today, do you know how blessed you are to see what you see, to hear what you hear, to receive what you receive, the grace and the joy the forgiveness and peace of Christ, not because of you, but because Jesus loves to give you himself. He has chosen to reveal himself to you. For the sovereign king to say, let there be light so that you can see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Listen, if you see and savor the king today? If you see and savor King Jesus Christ today, if you see and savor the one who died on a cross and who rose again for you, you didn't do that. Jesus graciously did that for you. Jesus graciously did that for you, and he did it with joy. And even right now, if we could zoom out into heaven, he's doing it with joy right now. So brothers and sisters, let us join him in the rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lord, that you allow us the great joy of being used, Lord, for your mission to tell other people about you, to share your good news, to, to give, to, to come bearing peace that only you can give. Lord, even more than that, Lord, thank you for the great joy that our names, sinners who don't deserve your love and grace, that our names can be written down in heaven, safe and secure forever. But Lord, this morning, thank you for even the greater joy that we get to see the joy of Jesus. 
that we get to see Jesus thrilled with the joy to rescue sinners. And so, Lord, I pray that this morning, if there's anybody here, Lord, who, who has hardened their heart to Jesus, who've never repented and believed in Jesus, Lord, who hasn't behold, beheld the, the glory and the beauty and the treasure that is Jesus in Christ, Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would say, let there be light, even in this moment. That, Lord, by the power of your Spirit, for the glory of your name, by the, Lord, that you would say, let there be light, that people would see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, my, my prayer this morning for unbelievers and for believers, for each and every one of us, Lord, is that we, that you would fill this room with rejoicing. Rejoicing not because of all that we've done, but rejoicing because of what Jesus has done for us. And Lord, I pray you would send us out from this place on mission, telling people the King has come. The kingdom has come near. Repent and believe and receive all that God has for you in Jesus. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.